Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, everybody, Dean Castronovo. Just wanted to say thank you so much for listening, and you are listening to Jay Scott and the Hook Rock Crank It People! Hey everybody, what's going on? Hope you're having a good night. It is Jay Scott. This is another episode of The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're staying safe, staying healthy. As I always say at the beginning of every episode, it is a crazy time, but it's still a time for music. There's nothing better to do during a pandemic than listen to some new tunes, some stuff you've been wanting to listen to and haven't had the chance to. I know things are starting to open up across the country, but uh, it's nevertheless, music can always be an escape. It can always be a form of healing, and rock and roll is always there for you. It's it's loyal to you, so please be loyal to rock and roll. I'd like to welcome in our next guest. I'm really excited about this. I've had the pleasure of seeing him live over the last few years with his old band Black Star Riders and also solo. I had a Pleasure of seeing him open up for the Winery Dogs here in St. Charles, just outside of Chicago, a couple years ago. I'd like to welcome in Mr. Damon Johnson. What's going on, man? How are you? Jay, I'm good, buddy. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I sure, I miss getting to play live shows at all, but I definitely miss coming to the greater Chicago area, man. There are some of the, the best rock and roll fans in the country right there. Yeah, it's always a great scene, a great show whenever, you know, whenever there's a live concert here in Chicago, whether it's a small club, theater, or arena, it it just has an atmosphere that uh, is like no other. It's really cool. I agree, man. Um, I've been coming to Chicago since the early days with Brother Kane. Uh, we put our first album out way back in 93, and uh, straight away, man, Chicago and just Northern Illinois radio in general, they really embraced us. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's a relationship that I've been really fortunate to have for, gosh, man, it's a crazy number, 30 years. That's yeah. a long time. It is, it is. <laughs> now, you have some connection here, too, in Chicago. I know Stefan from F3 Design. I think he does your logo. Yeah, man, Stefan. Man, Stefan does everything. Yeah, he does. Okay. Yeah. Stefan, uh, I think the first thing he did for me was help me get my website designed in the early 2000s. And then uh, he did some artwork for me on my first uh, 
I guess my second solo album, which was an acoustic record. And then when he and Sylvia started Warnstar, man, uh, you know, I've been a proud supporter of their clothing company and uh, I love wearing their stuff. And they're just, they're two of my favorite people on the planet. They're, they're like family to us. Yeah, I've known Stefan for, gosh, it's got to be two decades, three decades almost. And I used to live with this rock band in Chicago and he used to do their design too as well and all their kind of marketing and, and uh, you know, all their kind of website and designing stuff. And I've known him. So I always run into him at shows. Like him and I always like bump into each other. Like, hey, man, what's going on? So it's always good to see him. That's amazing. You've known him longer than I have. So <laughs> that's uh, that's really cool. And, I'm you know, man, I'm so proud of the growth they've had with their company. And um, they're both incredibly talented. And it's inspiring, you know, for them to start their own kind of mom and pop business as they as they have. And they've grown it to the level that they have. And I'm uh, really proud to be a part of their circle. Well, we got lots to get into, but we always begin the episode every time we have a first-time guest the same way, and that's with the essence of the show. Uh, The question we always ask, just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, a performance, a song, or album that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Wow, that's a big question. Um, the, the thing that hooked me on rock and roll was I saw Kiss on the midnight special on my television when I was in the seventh grade. And it was the equivalent, I'm sure, Jay, of our older friends when they saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, <laughs> you know, uh, that was the equivalent of that moment for me. Uh, no one's ever asked me that question, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I grew up, my, my folks to this day, man, both my parents love music. And so it was a very musical household. The radio was always playing and my dad would buy vinyl records of country artists and pop artists. And, but yeah, that was when I felt like it was something that was specifically mine. You know, my parents did not care for kids. They played Black Diamond, uh, complete with the you know the rising drum riser and the, the pyro and everything. Man, it just yeah that messed me up pretty hard, and it uh, I think it put me on the path for sure. Yeah, I mean, Kiss was an inspiration for a lot of musicians, and I think it was just the the imagery, you know, the 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 faces and the explosions and all the stuff that kind of just pulled you in and. You know, the music was great, too, but it just had, like, this power over young kids. I mean, I, I got exposed to Kiss back in, like, the early 80s, and I always remember knowing of them and knowing what they looked like before I heard their music, and then I heard their music, and then I was just hooked. Yeah, you know, I, you know I'm, a, I'm probably a little older than you, so, you know, that Midnight Special show, man, that would have been 19... 19- 77 bro this was you know this was early this was i believe this was between kiss alive one and destroyer and uh you know it was cool because i had a group of friends at school that you know we were all kind of discovering rock and roll at the same time and i remember that year in school that you know kiss and leonard skinner you know i'm from the south man so you know sweet home alabama was already the national anthem for us. Yeah. And so, you know, the musicality of a band like Skinner, uh, we loved Led Zeppelin. And, uh, you know, not long after that, we really got into bands like Rush and Pink Floyd. Bad Company was big. Paul Rogers, greatest singer of all time, you know, things like that. So, you know, that set the table for me, I guess, Jay. And then, you know, the two big bands not long after that, you know, when I finally started going to concerts were where I saw Thin Lizzy, ironically. I saw them in 79, uh, and that was a game changer for me. And uh, the, the next summer I saw Van Halen for the first time, and 
I was cooked. They're like, that's it. Um, I, I'm going to play guitar. You, you know, I had plans to go to college and get a degree and, and, and pursued that actually. And it wasn't until I had already graduated junior college that I really ever thought of even considering it to be possible to play music as a living, uh, especially for me, man, coming from such r- rural backgrounds, there was nobody from where I came from that was a professional musician, you know, so it just didn't seem possible. What were some of your earliest influences on guitar? Um, you know, there were a lot of them really because of, I guess what I just sort of described, you know, that group of bands way into Alex Lifes and all the Skinner guys, especially Ed King, but as much, you know, Alan Collins and Gary Rosington. I was a big fan of uh, a band you might remember called the Atlanta Rhythm Section. Uh, They were all session guys in a town called Doraville, just north of Atlanta, before, you know, they had success with their own band. And these guys were all like upper-level musicians, almost like Steely Dan kind of stuff, you know. And uh, their guitar player, Barry Bailey, was a massive influence. Of course, when Eddie Van Halen hit the scene, changed everything. <clears throat> All the guys in Thin Lizzy, especially Scott Gorham, Brian Robertson, Gary Moore, huge for me. Uh, Angus and Malcolm Young. And then when Stevie Ray Vaughan hit all of our brains, you know, that was more like the mid-80s. I want to say 85, 86. Uh, that was a big one. That was a huge one for me. And uh, Billy Gibbons. I got to mention Billy as well, man. He's a huge influence. You know, when you talk about Eddie Van Halen, you know, I have this discussion with a lot of younger rock bands who don't understand, you know, the way the earth changed, you know, after the first Van Halen album because nothing sounded like that before. And it was just a big time game changer. I mean, I don't think anything since then has really changed the game since that record. You can't say it better than you just did, Jay. The earth changed. And, you know, there's no question that Eddie changed guitar playing forever. And honestly, man, I feel like Van Halen as a band doesn't get enough credit for changing live shows in general. Um, you know, in the classic setup of like, you know, rock and roll front man with a great guitar player standing next to him. It had been that way, obviously previously with, you know, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, Mick and Keith, you know, Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. But Van Halen was something different. You know, they had such a, their, their whole presentation was such a celebration. It was so fun for lack of a better word. It was so focused on celebrating having a good time and you know (laughs) it could be argued that it was a positive and a negative all of the bands that came after them that didn't have nearly as good a song they didn't have nearly as great of a front man they didn't have nearly as as great of a you know a guitar player i mean that's a tall order to reach obviously but um yeah, again, to your point, everything changed after that record. I remember where I was when I first, when I heard that first record, you know, an older friend played it for me and my buddies. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, where were you when the Challenger disaster happened? Where, where were you when uh, 9-11 happened? I mean, I'm talking about two tragedies in comparison, but I mean, it was that pivotal of a moment that I'll, I'll never, ever forget ever when you think back about your evolution as an artist you know you talk about kiss you know hooking you into rock and roll you talk about all these influences on guitar when you were being influenced and in, in diving into rock and roll and starting your journey was there a moment when you wanted to get on stage being a band perform live in front of people I hadn't really thought about it specifically until it happened. I was more driven by 
the communal experience of being in a room with my friends, you know, two or three of my other friends and us plugging into the electric wall socket and, you know, even attempting to play something together. That was a tsunami of just awesomeness for me. So that was really the driving force. Now, that group of uh, junior high school friends, we did perform at this talent show in the ninth grade, Jay. And I guess that was really another one of those biblical moments because I wasn't prepared for that electricity I felt throughout my whole body, you know, getting a, a positive reaction from a group of, from an audience, which in that case just happened to be the entire eighth and ninth grade in <laughs> my junior high school. And I mean, you know, kids standing on the tables and making so much noise that you could tell the teachers were getting a little nervous. And uh, so that was, uh, that was addicting. And I guess in no small way, I've been sort of chasing that feeling uh, the rest of my life, man. I mean, I love to perform. I love to get on any stage, small or large. And uh, it's a, it's a real kind of an honor, man. I feel like it's a, a privilege to, to be on a stage and perform for people. Uh, it's almost kind of sacred, I guess. So um, it's just, it's a drug, man. You get bitten by that bug. And if you've got some skill, if you've got some talent, if you've got a work ethic, there's really no limit to, to what you can do with that and how far you can take it. When you're going through your journey and you're starting your journey and you're playing music and you're you know, joining the talent show or being in the talent show in ninth grade, was the beginnings of songwriting apparent then or did that take time for you um, to develop? Jay, that's a long time to develop for me. And as I look back on my career, that is one thing I would have done different is I would have started writing sooner. I would have embraced, I guess, being deserving of the, the mantle of artist as opposed to just guitar player or band member. Um, honestly, it's two very, very different things. And had it not been for me almost by default getting behind the microphone in the middle of the stage in what would become brother Kane, because really, man, <clears throat> that first 10 years of my development, I just wanted to be a guitar. Uh, I don't want to say guitar hero. I just wanted to be as good of a guitarist as I could be and learning different styles and practicing all the time and working on my tone and going to shows and asking questions. So, but when I got when I got behind the microphone and became the singer in Brother Kane, I realized I, I knew instinctively, like, well, I can't sing these lyrics that the previous guy had written because I don't I don't believe those lyrics. I I guess intuitively I had some concept of authenticity. You know, like you've got to mean it. If you're gonna sing it, you better mean it. So you know, I got a bit of a late start in the songwriting department and I'm so grateful to have crossed paths with uh, a really special talent that was my collaborator throughout the, the seven years of Brother Kane, which was my friend Marty Fredrickson. Marty was, was several years further down the path than me as a songwriter. He understood about arrangements and melodies and hooks, you know. So I was lucky, man, to cross paths with him. And um, so we kind of, came up in the beginning together through those songs that we wrote for Brother King. So, um, you know, I'm way more focused on putting time into that now than ever before. And, uh, you know, guitar playing is, is, is almost like a hobby, man. I do that for fun and, and relaxation. It's not a job. Um, and I'm happy to tell you, Jay, that now, all these years later, I finally kind of feel that way about songwriting, which I believe is the root to writing better songs. If it's a chore, man, your songs are going to sound labored. And it was a chore for me for a long time, you know, in the, in the early days. So, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to write songs. And I, you know, 
I know we're going to talk about the record uh, shortly, but I mean that this new album reflects that more than anything I've ever written or, or created is just what a great time, how fulfilling it was for me to, to put these songs together and make the record. Uh, I think the, the songs show that. Well, that's my next question because you're talking about songwriting and you're talking about creativity and we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's, you know, it's been about a year since it all started and this album's coming out here in a couple weeks. Was this album written during the pandemic? No, it was not written during the pandemic, Jay. Nine, uh, eight of the nine songs were, uh, were done and ready. Uh, I want to say October, November of 2019. So I had already put demos together and, you know, I'd been working on these for a while because I had a plan in my head, you know, to start a record early 2020, put it out by the summer and, you know, be on the road and play as many shows as we possibly could. So, um, you know, it's interesting because I think some of the lyrics to, to a few of the songs almost sound as if they were written after the pandemic. Um, but I've always, a lot of my lyrics have, have really from the beginning of my songwriting career, those lyrics have been informed by, you know, the concept of challenges or struggles and you work your way through it or you, you have to change or grow or become more than you were to get through it or to get past whatever hurdle you're dealing with. And uh, so that sure feels like where we're at right now as a, as a country and as a, as a world, you know, dealing with this pandemic. The new album is battle lessons and the band is Damon Johnson and the get ready. You mentioned that this was recorded before the pandemic. What was the collaboration process? Like what was this creative process like? Because you know, the last album that you did, which was in 2019 memoirs of an uprising was a great record. And that was, you know, a solo album. And you're going into, you're starting this band, you know, called the get ready. This is a new album. What were the differences between this album and the one previous? Well, um, there were a lot memoirs of an uprising. I had a specific idea of what I wanted to say lyrically. There were some themes and some colors and some stories that I, I wanted to get across before I ever sat down. Um, Battle Lessons is also in its, in its way a solo album in that I wrote it either myself or with my same collaborator, Jim Troglin, who's incredible. <clears throat> He's an old friend and we just have a great chemistry when, when we write songs together. Um, and, you know, the big difference this time, man, is that I had done some dates. I'd been on the road and played shows with a variety of setups of different players. <clears throat> the one constant, Jay, was my drummer, Jared Pope, um, who I've known for almost 12 years now. And, uh, back at the end of the touring cycle of Memoirs of an Uprising, Robbie Harrington came on board to play bass on a few shows. <clears throat> and there was a different chemistry there. There was a different energy um, and instead of going out with another guitar player, which I had done most of 2019, we started performing some as just a trio. No other reason than just how much fun it was. Um, you know, we could, we could get in and out of places efficiently. And uh, we got to do some amazing support slots with the winery dogs, as you saw. Uh, we supported Clutch, who I love them that band and their fans we played within the end of 19 and we toured with ufo as a trio man all those were trio dates and i just started warming up to that idea and jared and robbie are you know they're five-star musicians i feel like those guys are rock stars in their own right they got they got everything you need man they're the total package individually and collectively so i just felt like it was time to to give that band a moniker again, man, like so many of my heroes, the Jimi Hendrix experience, 
Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, Rush, ZZ Top, Nirvana, you know, just big bands, man, big sounding bands that were doing it with just three guys. I felt like we could do that. You know, you've played with a lot of musicians. You've been in different bands through the years. You mentioned when you were talking about the trio, you were having fun. It was just a blast to play. Was that important to you when, you know, starting a band because of all the people you've worked with? And I imagine, you know, throughout time you've dealt with difficult people and, and easy people, but, you know, basically, the, you know, you're a rock and you have learned a lot through the times and through the years. Was that what really attracted you to doing this? Was the fun? Yeah, man. I I wanted to, I felt like I could be the leader of a band again. And what I mean by that is that I could carry the responsibility whenever somebody goes, okay, what's the plan? What are we doing? I was prepared to accept the responsibility of being the person to answer those questions and be reliable, to have a vision, to uh, kind of take care of all of it, man. I've, my wife always shakes her head at the concept of multitasking because I believe I can pull it off. Uh, she doesn't, <laughs> but she, she has helped me, you know, like, realize like, okay, man, if you're going to call the shots on all this stuff, you got to get organized. And, and that's kind of what the last two or three years have been. And all the while, Jay, having a great time playing together, uh, just being lucky, man, to have a couple of guys that would want to come on board with me and play my music. That is, I, I don't ever want to take that for granted, you know, the gravity, the currency rather of that concept. That's, that is humbling that, you know, players, Jared and Robbie's caliber would be motivated and thrilled to show up at rehearsal with me and go, okay, man, here's the new songs we're going to play. Here's the brother Kane songs we're going to play. Let's work up a couple of thin Lizzie songs and let's do this cover of an Elvis Costello song. And the answer from them is always, yes, let's do it. Great. That's an honor, man. So I don't take any of that lightly. And, you know, so far, so good. Uh, you know, obviously, if we can get back out there and start playing shows this year, um, you know, I'm just, I just feel like we're prepared. We're ready. We're ready to kind of come out of the gate strong with a new record, a plan. And again, man, I can't overstate how special it is for me as a just an independent artist. You know, my band, my team, my manager, everybody lives right here in Nashville, Jay. That's another big difference from, you know, all the bands I've been a part of for all of the 2000s. Uh, you know, Alice Cooper, Thin Lizzy, Black Star Riders. Um, you know, everybody lives in different states, in some cases, different countries. Uh, that makes band rehearsal challenging, man. <laughs> we, we, we don't have those challenges anymore. You know, the guys live right down the street and, uh, I really like being able to operate like that. Well, I imagine too, it's great for the creative process. Cause when you get a bug, you know, when you get inspired, it's great to have guys that are local and say, Hey man, let's get together and jam. I got this, you know, this melody in my head, or I got this, you know, this lick in my head and I, I need to lay it down. I need to, I need to get somebody to bounce this off of. And it's difficult to do that when you're not all in the same place. Totally brother. And you know, man, I've talked about black star writers a good bit, you know, over the last three years of my solo career. And I don't ever, I, w I would feel bad if anyone felt like I was complaining about black star writers specifically when I talk about, the challenges of decisions by committee, you know, conference calls and email threads. It, it just happened to be that black star writers was the band I was in right before I decided to do my full-time solo career. So the frustration of those challenges was in that band, but it would have been the same if I was still with Alice Cooper, if I was in, 
Bon Jovi or if I was in Steely Dan. It's like you're you're working for someone else. It's you know some uh, some other people are making those big decisions and man, everything would just take forever and you'd be raising your hand saying, hey, this is how I think we should handle this. And sometimes you would, you know, things would go your way, but a lot of times you would have to compromise on things that you would rather not compromise. And uh, not going to lie, Jay, I'm very happy not having to compromise on anything <laughs> anymore. And you know, it goes back to what I was saying a minute ago. That's why I value my role within this trio. Um, man, I want Jerry Pope and Robbie Harrington to be my rhythm section for the rest of my life. So for that to happen, I got to run a tight ship and I got to take care of those guys and do good work, show up with songs that they're fired up about or that, that you know, that they can contribute to and, and be creative with their gifts as well. And uh, I think we're off to a good start. I think there's a lot of potential for this band to be around for a long time. I believe so too. I think this album is a rock record. I mean, it is, you know, an album that I've been saying this, I've been banging this drum here for the last year. You know, it's an rock and roll is on the upswing. There's, there is a resurgence with rock music. And I think, the more we celebrate rock music, the more new fans, fans that are young, will connect with it. I think this album is a celebration of rock music. You can hear it in the songs. And you mentioned the previous album that you saw a lot of colors and shapes and your vision with that record. What was the vision for this? All the really the kind of the springboard or the, you know, the, the, the launch pad for the initial vision of this thing was a couple of songs that were just ballsy, loaded with tempo, loaded with riffs. And those two songs would be can't clap any louder and lightning bolt. Everything is going to be all right. Those I think were the first two songs that I demoed up Jay uh, downstairs in my little cubby hole that I that I I guess is my office, which is nothing elaborate, man. It's just a desk with some speakers and a laptop and and uh, you know the stuff I need to create demos with. So I just loved it. I, I can't remember ever making a demo of any song ever that I listened to so much in my truck or when I was out for a run. You know, I would just crank it in my headphones and just made me feel great and it was it made me i just felt that same energy i did of a lot of my you know my earliest hard rock influences and i just thought hey man let's just let's just set the bar this is what this record's gonna be no acoustic stuff balls to the wall riffs energy some cool arrangements you know that that we can have some fun musically and um and that's what it was I did put one acoustic song on, but that's another story. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think it comes out of the speakers on this album. You know, I mean, it definitely it definitely has a different tone and vibe than the previous solo album. This previous solo album was a top-notch record, too. And, you know, you mentioned that you're more relaxed, you're more, you're you're having fun. Not to say that, like, you know, like you said, that you weren't having fun before, but it's just a different type of fun, right? There's a fun without a challenge, you know, and there's always challenges with whatever you do, but you're handling, you're leading the challenge, you're taking care of the challenge rather than having to worry about other people's decisions, which is a huge thing. And it also affects your creativity when you're, when you don't have to deal with that stuff. I think that's well said, Jay. I really do, man. And, you know, I would be remiss to not also, you have to include the, just the tremendous level of experience and expertise. And that's the world-class producer, Nick Raskulinix. Um, You know, I moved to Nashville in 2013 with my family. <clears throat> and there's not any other single relationship that has had a greater impact on my career, my musical career, than meeting and working with Nick Raskulinix. 
that guy's resume speaks for itself. And, you know, more than having him produce my records, just becoming friends with him. You know, we, our families spend time together, you know, barbecue or whatever. And he's just, he's, I think he's that missing link I needed, to be honest with you, Jay. Uh, I love so many sub-genres of rock. And you know as well as anybody, over the last few decades, man, that, that, there's so much music and so many different kinds of bands underneath that umbrella. But Nick helped fine-tune it to more of a razor point. He's like, look, man, I know you can do all this other stuff. You've already done it, and you'll do some more singer-songwriter recordings or kind of Americana-sounding stuff. You know, you can do that whenever. Let's make rock music. Bring that Les Paul. Bring your favorite Marshall amp. Bring some great songs, and we're going to make this stuff sound like a rocket ship. And that's what he's brought to it, man. He pushes me with the arrangements. He pushes me vocally. Um, he's got the best gear, Jay. Nick has the most incredible array of boutique amps, classic amps, guitars, pedals. Um, it's the funnest part of the process for sure, man, when we start getting into guitar solos and, and guitar overdubs. So, uh, man, I, I hope I get to make records with Nick for, for years to come. I hope so, too, because I do think that this album is, is like I said, it's a rock album, and it's got such a great vibe to it. Um, talk about, or what was, you know, behind all these songs? Were these songs that were just recently written? Was any of this stuff that you were sitting on for a while, and you finally found the right players to kind of do this song, do or do each song right? What was that like? Well, um, yeah, man, most of these songs, again, you know, were brand new. Um, you know, as you do, if you're a songwriter, you're always capturing ideas and, you know, I'm either putting, you know, typing notes in my phone or on my laptop or I keep a couple notebooks laying around. And there were bits and pieces that began to just be little ideas or colors that you would see laying around. But I definitely remember in October when I called my friend Jim Choglin, you know, I just said, hey, man, it's getting time to to prep another record because I was really sort of looking at the calendar of 2020. Like, okay, we start in January, get it done quickly, get it out in the summer. Just as a, I guess from a business standpoint, Jay, it, you know, you got to have a plan. You got to project what, what the plans are for getting new music out and promoting it and that kind of thing. So, you know, Jim and I both, we, we never had, there's never a shortage of ideas either riffs or a music bed or a title or, or whatever. So that was a great, great starting point. And, um, you know, I would love to tell you that I had some specific things in mind. It's more like when I get into writing the lyric that it begins to take form within my head. Like, Oh, this for me, this is about this, you know, for you to listen to the lyric, or, you know, a fan in the United Kingdom to hear one of the new songs. It could, you know, it'll mean something completely different to them. But there's no question that I feel that what I'm singing and saying, I feel authentic. I feel like, you know, I, I, the, the, these songs are, <laughs> for lack of a better word, these songs are legit. You know, there's nothing phoned in, um, you know, again, I enjoy that part of the process, working out the lyric, fine tuning it, you know, listening back to the, to the demo and going, ah, man, I really like this song. That second verse is not, it's not there yet. I don't, there's a character missing or, uh, I'm saying the same thing that I did in the first verse. It needs more information, that kind of stuff. It's like a puzzle. It's fun. Was there any differences with, writing i mean or playing on this record that maybe you did differently i think i wrote a lot more with the electric guitar in my hand maybe than ever before on a single record jay 
you know, all those Brother Kane songs were, you know, the bulk of the songs were Marty Fredrickson and I with acoustic guitars, you know, focused on the lyric, focused on the, the vocal melody. <clears throat> you know, we'd hammer it out. We could hear the song in our head, like what it would sound like with the band. I kind of approached writing with Ricky Warwick and Black Star Writers. We would take that same approach. Uh, Memoirs of an Uprising was very similar. Not, not this Battle Lessons album. It was, uh, you know, I, I remember I had a, you know, my Flying V on my 335 on my Les Paul within reach. There was an electric bass. So, you know, man, I would create a little track, like just a little drum machine program. And, and I would play along with the electric. And um, as you very well stated earlier, man, it's a, it's a rock record for, for our times. And, um, I guess that's no accident because the songs started that way. They started thinking about riffs and power chords and, and that kind of energy. Uh, you know, I don't get the feeling that Malcolm Young, you know, would show up at Angus's house with an acoustic to write those ACDC songs. Do they even own an acoustic <laughs> guitar? <laughs> Probably not, man. Probably not. And, uh, you know, even the, I've talked to Scott Gorham about it specifically, you know, in Thin Lizzy, there was no sitting around with acoustic guitars, writing a song like Emerald or Jailbreak, you know, that's a, those, there's electricity involved in that creative process for sure. So, uh, you know, I know myself enough to know for sure that they'll, there'll be songs in my future that I'm going to write that are, they will come they will start on the acoustic and they will have that energy informing it somewhere, but not this record, not battle lessons. This is a hard rock record, uh, classic rock influenced, but I feel like thanks to Nick and the band with a modern sound. You mentioned that, you know, this record was done last year. Um, obviously the pandemic affected not just you, but a lot of artists and bands and putting out their music. A lot of people did hold on to their music until it was maybe a better time for them to release it. What was your thought process and why now, why is it different than it was in the summer than the fall to release a record? That's a great question. And I'm sure other artists you speak to are going to have their own stories. Mine was just specific to the challenges we had in front of us. Um, it's interesting that from the very beginning of my talks with Nick about how to make the record, he already had some challenges with his calendar because of other far bigger bands that he had committed to make records with. And by bigger bands, I mean way more popular and a far greater budget to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to enlist Nick Raskulinik's skills and his time in his studio. So that had to take precedence. And I was totally cool with that. So early on, we had said, hey, man, we're going to record three songs at a time. So we did those first three songs in February is when we started, I believe, Jay. Yeah, because uh, the pandemic here in Nashville, the, sh the shutdown happened March the 15th. So we had we had Battle Lessons, Can't Clap, and Let the Healing Begin recorded and mixed and ready. So then we hit a big pause, and then we didn't get back to do the next three songs until the end of June, 1st of July. That's a big gap, you know. Uh, I've never made a record like that, ever. I've always, you know, we show up with a bunch of songs, the band has rehearsed, you work it out and you start knocking them out one at a time and get it done. So, you know, six songs done by the summer and then the final three, we weren't able to get back in until October. So it has been a bit of a piecemeal way of, you know, recording everything. Um, I don't know. I'm like, again, I'm sure it, other artists have had the same challenges. I thought about maybe we should just wait. Let's just sit on this record until we can go and tour. Um, 
for no other reason than I was just ready to get it not only released to the public and to my fan base, but also kind of clear it off of my desk, Jay. You know, like this has been a, over a year of writing, recording, thinking about it, working on it, the sequence, the artwork, the design, the mixing, the mastering. It's been amazing, and I'm so proud of it. I'm ready to put a big bow on it and send it out and move on. And let's write another one. Like, what's next? Let, let's, let's create some more music. And hopefully, in the meantime, we're going to be able to go out and start playing shows again and getting to congregate again. Maybe, maybe not. A lot of that is still yet to be seen. But I was just ready, man, to, uh, to get it out and get it and, and get it out of my brain. Like, okay, let's get this done. I've, I've lingered on this long enough. I'm ready to, I'm already starting to think about writing more songs. Is that difficult when you have an album that's done and you've got the artwork, you've got everything planned out and you're sitting on it. And obviously during a pandemic, you're going to sit on it longer. Does that affect how you're creative in terms of the next thing, the next album, because you don't really have, I don't want to say the word closure because I don't really think it's closure, but it just feels like what you've done, the journey hasn't been completed yet. You know, when you release another album, like the solo album you did before or with bands you've done before, you release it, you play it live, you tour, and then you go in to do the next thing. It just seems like, when you're sitting on something for a long time and it's difficult to find the right moment to release it, it's hard for that journey to progress. Therefore it's hard for you to be creative and think about what else you want to do next. Is that true? I think it's definitely true that it's hard for that journey to begin. And it's hard to kind of, I mean, there's, this has never happened before to anybody. You know, not, not, no one that makes records has, has had to deal with this kind of a challenge. So, you know, we don't have any place to go for advice or to compare it to. Like, here's the way to do it right and here's the way to do it wrong. Um, I don't think it makes writing more songs difficult. That, that I don't feel. Um, <clears throat> again, if you're a painter, you paint. If you're a house builder, you build houses. If you're a songwriter, you write songs. Um, I do remember early in the pandemic having the same anxiety everyone else had that I do remember thinking, wow, I'm glad this record is written because it might be a challenge to sit down in this environment and clear your brain to, you know, write some song about celebrating life like, like uh, you know, can't clap any louder. I don't know that that song could have been written in the spring of 2020 rather than the, the fall of 2019. Um, it's definitely a challenge, man. I'm not going to pretend it's not. And there's still so much we don't know. It's what's going to happen, what the future holds. Um, <clears throat> again, I guess we'll wait and see. I certainly had that conversation with my band and my manager. It's like, well, yes, it's not ideal to put out a record and not be able to go out and support it and play shows. Um, again, I guess it's one of the other bonuses about being an independent artist for us operating as efficiently as we do. Uh, there's not a giant record company involved. There's not a big team of radio promotion involved. It's just not that kind of a project. So <clears throat> we can operate a little quickly, more efficiently. You know, it's interesting, too, as well. And, you know, I've talked to a couple other artists about this, namely John Bush from Armored Saint. I was talking to him a few months ago, and he said something really interesting, that releasing an album during this time may mean that people can sit with it longer and enjoy it. Whereas, you know, when you're pumping out music and then you're touring, people come see you, they want to hear what they're familiar with, Whereas now they're hearing this stuff and they can listen to it. So now when they do see you live, they're more prepared to see the, hear the new music than they were before. 
I love that. Wow. Credit to John Bush. That's, that's a very interesting take. And I hope he's totally nailing it. Like, I hope that is what happens. I don't see why it wouldn't happen. Um, you know, particularly again, for my fan base, I know that I've been talking about this record for literally almost an entire year. That's never happened. Um, the title track, which is the first official single, people could hear that song on all the digital platforms as far back as like September 25th. So Battle Lessons, the song has been out man, for quite a while. So, you know, uh, all the, all the people that have pre-ordered my record, they've been able to hear some of the music, you know, we'll send them a download every three or four weeks. And so, you know, man, a good four or five tracks on the record they're already familiar with. So I know those people are definitely going to be ready to come see the band. Um, and yeah, with the, with the whole album being released, you know, in its entirety on February 19th, you know, we're not going out in February. We're not doing shows in March or April really. So yeah, man, the more time people have to listen to it, maybe they will. Um, you know, maybe they'll come to like that music even more. You know, they'll they'll take give it more time and really get inside the lyrics and pay attention to the, you know, the the performances. I, I certainly hope they do. That's what you want. That's what any band wants, man, is for people to to really listen to it a lot and get inside it. You mentioned the song "Can't Clap Any Louder," which is a great track from the new album, and you you talked about writing that song and how that song may not have been written had you been writing music during the pandemic. On the other side of that, music that you're writing during the pandemic, obviously you're you're in a mindset that you wouldn't normally be in with what's happening out there, and you're living a different, I don't want to say different life, but your life is different. Everyone's life is different. And you're writing music that can reflect on what your thought process and where your mind's at. My question is, is that the music that you might be writing during this time, a year from now, two years from now, whenever you want to put that out, after this album, you know, after the run of this album is over, will that be difficult? Because hopefully we'll be in a different time. Everyone's mindset will be different. Is it something that songs that might be written that might be reflective of this moment, will that be difficult a couple years from now, a year from now, whenever you put that out? Again, another great question, Jay. And the first thought that comes to my mind is I personally, I don't feel motivated or interested to write about 2020. Um, because we're living it. You know, I just feel like in a way, everyone's sick of it. Everyone's tired of hearing about it. I love and will always be committed to including songs on a full LP that might have a couple of stories that address challenge and perseverance and sticking together and fighting through something. But again, I've, I've kind of always had a little bit of that. I mean, the very first song that brother Kane ever released was a song called got no shame. And it was totally about overcoming uh, naysayers and pessimists and people that didn't believe in what we were doing. Um, but to write about the pandemic, to write about the loss, uh, man, I lost one of my oldest friends in the music business two weeks ago. The, the COVID took him. And it's the first you know experience I've had like that. Um, not saying I won't write about it, but I can just tell you right now, man, just living inside this insane year, having some genuine loss of, you know, family and friends, you know, that have been taken by the virus. Um, I don't know. I, I think I almost feel like I'd rather write another record similar to battle lessons, energy, right. excitement, looking forward to the future, optimism, getting through it, you know, whatever. I, that's what I want to listen to right now. 
I agree. I was just thinking about a movie studio making a movie about the 2020 pandemic. And I said to myself, would anybody want to go see that? Why would anybody <laughs> want to go and relive what they've, like you said, like they've lived through? Like, I don't want to go, re- you know, watch a two, three hour movie on what happened. I know what happened. <laughs> I saw it happen. You know, it's like, it's like I have no desire to go sit and spend my time being depressed about what we were all upset about, you know, it's like, uh, but you brought up a good point, you know, music hopefully will have an optimistic feel to it once this is over, because that's what we need. You know, we don't need, you know, you, you mentioned Van Halen bringing the fun back into rock and roll when they came out, you know, it was a totally different vibe. And I think, I think we're, we're ready for that again. I think it's been a long time coming, you know, obviously, Van Halen spawned a whole generation of that type of music and it's gone away. And I think people want that people want to escape and not worry about what there is to worry about. And let's not forget this too, Jay, you know, music brings us all together regardless of our working class. And more importantly, regardless of our personal politics, which is at an all-time low right now. We have never been more divided than we are right now. And music will bring those people together. People from both sides of the American political aisle have come to see me play from the very beginning. And I don't ever talk about politics at the shows. I'm never going to. That's not why I'm performing. That's not why people are coming to see me. But these are incredible times. And we've got monumental challenges as a country in front of us. And uh, nothing more equipped to bring us together, my friend, than music. There's nothing that can pull that off like that. I think more than other art forms, movies, uh, books, you know, it's like it's tough to not just be on one side or the other with that stuff. Uh, I'm ready to get all those folks in a room together, man, and let's just let's bring a friend or a partner, let's get a drink, let's play some music, let's escape all this for a couple of hours, have a good time, and uh, hit repeat. Let's do that again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I often think whenever I see these heated discussions on social media, I always say to myself, do these people realize that they're both Van Halen fans, that they're both Led Zeppelin fans, <laughs> that they're both Metallica fans? I mean, you know, does it have to be, you know, a, a, an argument all the time when I do believe 100% that we have more in common with each other than we don't have in common. And I think if we begin to realize that, that just because someone has a different opinion on something doesn't mean we got to hate them because we still love music. And I think that people just need to take a step back, take a deep breath, and just realize that, hey, you know, we're all in the same boat together. We're all going in the same direction. So let's worry about getting along more than what separates us. Well said, Jay. From your mouth to the ears of the sheep that are currently just following whatever they get behind on social media. Right, uh, right. I think I think that message you have is uh, is a lot more suitable to uh, just improving people's lives, man. You know, because let's face it, that's what we all want at the end of the day. We want to live a quality life with the people that we care about the most try to be productive in our work and, uh, you know, give our kids something to look forward to in their future. So, uh, Hey man, I got a 12 year old and a 16 year old. They have not seen the inside of a school classroom physically since March of 2020. That's a tough way, man, for a 16 year old to grow up. 16 was one of the best years of my life. Period. No comparison. And my son and his friends, they're not getting that experience because of this moment. I'm in the same boat. I got a 16-year-old too. Yeah. So 
again, man, this music stuff is easy. That's how I feel. Writing another badass rock and roll song, Jay, for me, after 30 years, come on, it's got to be easy. I've been doing it too long for it not to be at least simple. Nothing's easy, I guess, but it's certainly the concept is simple. Put in the time, figure it out, come up with something that gets me excited, say something authentic, present it authentically, and everything else will work itself out. That, that stuff is easy. Helping a, helping a junior in high school get through the uh, worldwide pandemic of the coronavirus that's a that's another that's a whole different kind of kind of challenge and obviously man that's really where you know certainly my wife and I that's where our primary focus is um you know you'll get a kick out of this we're anxiously awaiting the delivery truck to bring the CDs of battle lessons to our front door uh I check my uh you know I log into the to the manufacturer and I check the progress literally daily, Jay. And I think they're coming on Friday and bro, I feel like it's Christmas, you know, we can't wait for these CDs to show up because then as a family, we're going to be, uh, the downstairs is already a mess, man. Cause I got envelopes and sticky notes and packages and stuff ready, you know, to send the CD out to the people that have pre-ordered, uh, you know, that music. And we're just so thrilled to, uh, to be able to do that. It's going to be a great distraction from, uh, from all this other stuff. And, and hopefully man, those fans are going to receive that CD and put it in their car and their, their player at home and crank it up and escape this uh, crazy time that we're living in. Well, I will tell you that, you know, music is always a reason to celebrate. And, you know, we talk about our 16 year old, sons like I have and you have and my at the time he was 14 was able to see you with the winery dogs on that show that I went to and he was blown away he loved it that's awesome that's awesome man that's so awesome yeah thank you for telling me that yeah no he's a little rock and roller so I mean he's but he what's different with him is he loves the physical copy of the music too. Like I got him into appreciating the physical form of music rather than point click and download. That's great, Jay. Good for you, man. And and good for him. I just, um, you know, my kids are, they stream music and I'm totally cool with that. But I will say that my son, Gabriel, the 16 year old, he just said to me a couple of days ago, he goes, Dad, this is my favorite record you've ever made. Of course, he wasn't around when I made those Brother Kane records, and he likes a lot of that stuff. And he loves Black Star Writers and the stuff I did with Alice Cooper. You know, he, he, he digs all that stuff, but it's a thrill for me to hear him playing the record, you know, on his phone or, or playing it on, you know, in his room. And he's even asked me about some of the lyrics, and that's not happened before so that's as a as a parent that's super super rewarding i love it yeah that's awesome i mean he my son's doing this english um project where he's got to pick a song about a certain topic and he picked closer to the heart by rush so he's all into it he's like yeah this is a great project you know so that's awesome that music can do that and and i think if more parents get their kids off the video games and into music i think that their lives will be better because it, it does it music can babysit a kid. It can open up so many doors of creativity and so many doors of life lessons and lyrics that can speak for them that maybe they can't say themselves, you know, at, at a tough age, like 16. I think it, it just embodies so much for young kids. And I think there needs to be more music education in schools and i think there needs to be more parents listening to music in their house and just have it all around them at all times i couldn't agree with you more buddy i couldn't agree with you more um you know again as as i look back I, i was so fortunate that that was exactly the environment that i grew up in as a kid both my parents loved music uh, play, you know, my mom sang in church and plays a little piano. My dad played a little guitar, you know, um, 
And music has certainly brought me every good thing that my entire life has provided me has come from music. My wife, my kids, my career, travel, my relationships, creatively, businesses, you know, it's just, it's, it's been an amazing, it's been an amazing ride. And, you know, it feels good to be this far down the path and, and feel this inspired to make new music and write new songs and put out a new record. And, um, you know, man, it's just, it's a thrill to talk to you. This is all these things we're discussing. You're, you're very thoughtful and, um, it's just, uh, it feels great, man. It's very rewarding to celebrate this, this record and these songs. And, um, it's a feeling I want to, you know, replicate, you know, I want I want to do this again in another 18 months and, put another one out well anytime you got new music to come you can come on the show and we'll definitely talk about that and we'll talk about other things this was a great conversation damon i really do appreciate it jay i thoroughly enjoyed this my man all the best to you and your family and uh can't wait for us to congregate again man and uh, i want you to hear us play these songs live absolutely man i look forward to it the album, the album is Battle Lessons. The guest is Damon Johnson from Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. The album is out in a couple weeks. I believe it's February 19th, right? That is correct. The 19th is official release date. We'll go out and get that record to everyone that's listening. I know there's a lot of Damon Johnson fans that uh, do follow me on social media, so go check it out. The new album is great. Thanks, thanks to Damon for being on, a guest on the show. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. friend.